0: Hey, it's Jeff here. Before we start the program, I do want to let everybody know that in the interview section, we do have a discussion about suicide. And I know that that can be distressing for some listeners. So if you want, then please do skip that section of the podcast. If you are struggling with any kind of mental health issues at this or any time of year, I hope that you'll reach out for help. There are private and confidential counseling numbers available in just about every country, wherever you might be listening. Thanks, and please look after yourself and those around you.
1: I I think I've learned a few times that most of the time anger is not a very useful emotion. I think anger can get you through maybe a few hours or or a day or maybe a few days, but the emotions that help me kind of get through life, the tough parts of life, or sounds sappy, but it's love. It's it's understanding. It's sitting with things and, and looking at them from different perspectives to try to make some sense of it, and then embracing it and controlling what you can based on that.
0: Hello, I'm Jeff Sankoff, the Doc, and this is the January twenty sixth, two thousand twenty four edition of the Trydoc podcast. And it's coming to you as always from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. Well, it's been an interesting start to the new year. There's a lot of news in the triathlon world and. Well, I got to say, it's not all been all that excellent. There's been some interesting news coming out of the USA Triathlon organization just down the road in Colorado Springs that involved a retooling or rejiggering of the fees that USAT charges on an annual basis. Those fees go, of course, to insure racers and the races themselves when triathlons take place. And it also goes to keeping USAT viable as an organization. With declining numbers and with increasing costs, USAT has run into some financial hard times, and they've been trying to figure out a way to increase their revenues and make sure that they're in a better financial situation. Unfortunately, the means by which they went about this, well, it didn't really come across too well. They made an announcement where they were going to have this gigantic increase in fees, especially for those athletes who wanted to participate in world championship events as a member of uh, USA, F Team USA. And this went over like a lead balloon. The reaction was so strong and so negative, in fact, that USAT had to very quickly make an about-face, and all of a sudden, they have taken back the announced fee increases and changes to their fee structure and are going back to pretty much what they already had in place, at least for 2024. However, USAT still not on really great financial viable sort of ground, and you can expect that things are going to change and we are going to be looking at increased fees in some kind of way. What it will look like, though, that remains to be seen. Another high-profile organization is also in the triathlon news recently, and that is the PTO, or Professional Triathletes Organization. They've made news for not really the right reasons. I'll need to give you a little bit of context here, and I am not going to go into a huge amount of details because the story is sordid and honestly kind of confusing. But basically, it involves the very popular Malibu triathlon, an event that's been going on for almost as long as triathlons have been going on and is incredibly popular popular in the Los Angeles area. Well, the Malibu Triathlon was in a certain amount of financial issues, and the owner of the triathlon sold it to the Super League, which was very much seen as a great thing amongst triathletes. Super League has done a lot of good things in triathlon circles, and it was seen that this was going to restore this event to important and primary sort of place in the triathlon world. They were going to introduce their usual Super League competitions and then have the age group race as always. There was threats to the race taking place this year because of uh, permitting, but that ended up being sorted out sort of at the last minute. And then, all of a sudden, the original owner of the race who sold the race to Super League is now back in the picture, having scooped up the permits for the race and basically leaving Super League out in the cold with their huge investment essentially amounting to nothing. And it turns out that the original owner of the race is funded by none other than the PTO. So the PTO is looking potentially a little bit nefarious here and not really on the right side of things. Now, on the one hand, the PTO now has its hands on a very valuable commodity in the form of the Malibu Triathlon, but the means by which they obtained it Looking a little bit sketchy. Now, not all of the facts are out right now, but I got to say, as somebody who has come to really appreciate what Super League has done and is doing for our sport, I, for one, am not going to be terribly happy if it looks, if it comes about that... What actually looks like happened turns out to be the truth, and that is that the PTO has had some underhanded dealings here in getting the Malibu on away from the Super League. Time will tell. Not all the details are known, but that's kind of what it looks like right now. Now, the other news involving the PTO, and that's something that just came out today, is that they have finally announced another event. As I mentioned on a a recent episode in my monologue, the PTO has been very slow to announce other events. We knew about the Asian Open that is happening in April in Singapore. We knew about the European Open that is happening in September in Ibiza, Spain but we don't know anything about any other events. There was supposed to be an ongoing series, but uh, we have all been waiting on tenterhooks to see if the PTO was gonna have anything else to add to their calendar. Well, as of today, they have one more race, and that is a 100K event that is going to take place in Las Vegas, Nevada. At the site of the previous 70.3 World Championships that used to take place, it's in the neighboring town actually of Henderson at Lake Las Vegas, a man-made lake that sits just above Lake Mead and presumably will involve biking around Lake Mead, similar to what we saw with the 70.3 World Championships, although the course remains unannounced at this time. As I mentioned in my previous monologue when I talked about the PTO in its series, a four-race series is not something that is particularly earth-shattering, it is not something that the pros are particularly excited about, and many of them have yet to commit as to whether or not they're going to partake in this series, or if they are going to jump to the Iron Man professional series, That has a fair amount of money invested into it now in terms of prize money, and uh, some, like Lionel Sanders, have been quite committal in saying that, nope, they're not going to get involved with PTO, and they're just going to stick with the Ironman Professional Series. Others, like Sam Long and Lucy Charles Barkley, have been quite uh, vociferous in their support of the PTO and are going to commit to those races. So time will tell. We will see if other events are going to be added or if it's going to be a four-race season for the PTO. PTO. If they have other races, it's unclear to me what they're waiting for in terms of announcing them. Uh, my guess is that they either don't have other races or they are still struggling to get permitting finalized for them. Uh, one of those events is, of course, the aforementioned Malibu Triathlon. What is going to happen there remains to be seen. I guess we're just going to have to wait. The state of triathlon remains somewhat in flux. I mentioned previously that uh, we have a lot to be concerned about in terms of declining numbers, about the idea that triathlon is being priced essentially out of reach for anybody to get into the sport as a newbie, and uh, we have to be concerned about this. We will see how this all works out. Hopefully we can turn the page on some of this negative news that we're seeing from the likes of USAT and PTO, and that uh, in the weeks and months to come, we could start to see more positive things coming out of those organizations and, of course, Ironman itself. On the show today, I have a couple of interesting segments that I think you will all enjoy. First up, on the medical mailbag with my friend and colleague, Juliette Hawkman, we are going to tackle a question that was submitted by, yet again, Andrew Patterson. Andrew is a longtime friend of the show. He produces the very... Entertaining and informative Ironman Hacks blog and website. He frequently submits questions that uh, we answer on the program, and today is no different. He reached out a little while ago and asked what the deal was with magnesium supplementation, particularly in the form of Pillar, which is spelled P I L L A R. It is a fairly new to North America but long standing supplement drink that has been advertised in Asia, Australia, and and New Zealand as something that can really, really augment your sleep, your energy, and your performance, simply by providing you with high levels of magnesium. Well, what's the science say about all of this? Juliet and I are going to look into it in the medical mailbag, and that's coming up really shortly. Later on, I have as a guest today Mark Evans, who is an age group triathlete who was severely injured in October of 2022 when competing at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in St. George, Utah. He and another competitor were hit by an intoxicated motorist who pulled into the course at a very inopportune moment on a very steep and fast descent, catching Mark and another cyclist completely unawares and unable to change directions, they struck the car, both Sustaining very, very serious injuries. Mark's attitude and demeanor after suffering these life-changing injuries have always impressed me, and I wanted to have him on the program to share his experience and maybe give us some insights as to how he's managed through all of this and how he manages to keep such a positive outlook on life and on the driver of the car who was in the incident in question. Before all of that, I want to take a moment just to thank As always, my Patreon supporters who have decided that for about the price of a cup of coffee per month, they would like to help support this podcast, and in doing so, get access to bonus programs that come out about once every month or so. Most recently, there was a bonus episode that contained a medical segment dedicated to two different papers that I reviewed in detail and in depth that talked about the benefits of weight training and also on why it's so important to stay warm when training during the winter. You can get access to those kinds of episodes that uh, are available on a private feed, available only to subscribers. You could find out all the details on how to do so at www.patreon.com forward slash podcast. And as always, thank you in advance just for considering. It is time again for the medical mailbag, and because of the way the calendar fell, this is actually our first segment of the gear. So for 2024, welcome Juliet.
2: You welcome back, Jeff.
0: Yes, I had a fantastic vacation. I'm a little bit sad, I have to say, because it really was a remarkable place to be. The scuba diving was amazing, and but you know, all good things have to come to an end, and then you retire. So, I'll look forward to <laughs> my retirement in a couple of short years and then I can then I can live that life maybe a little more perpetually. But until then, we have medical questions to answer. And what is the question we're looking at today?
2: Right. So this question comes from one of our listeners, one of the Off podcast listeners, and this athlete was actually approached by this particular company to see if he would use their products. And so he reached out to Jeff to see if Jeff had any opinion about this product. And it is, it's basically magnesium. And Jeff, I'll let you take it from there in terms of this particular company and what our questions were for this product.
0: Yeah. So specifically the product is Pillar. I think it's pronounced, it, I don't think it's Pillar. I think it's I think Pillar. It's Pillar, it's Pillar yeah. Performance. Yeah. And Pillar Performance has had a pretty well-established, I guess, footprint in Southeast Asia and in Australia, Australia, and uh, New Zealand, where it has been on the market now for several years. And they've just, I think in the last 12 months or so, started to gain a foothold here in North America. And they've been quite aggressive in their advertising. And basically, Pillar Performance is just magnesium. That's it. It's soluble magnesium. And they market themselves, like a lot of products do, as promising a lot, a lot of things. They they have a very nice, slick-looking website. And on their website, they give the sense that uh, Pillar Performance is going to be the answer to all that ails you in triathlon training.
2: And they're promoted by some pretty heavy hitters.
0: Yes, they are. Former world champion, now retired, Jan Frodeno. I saw that Ben Canute is on there. I didn't catch if I didn't I didn't spend a ton of time on the website, but those are the two faces that I recognized. I'm sure they have female athletes as yep, well. Yep. They they definitely do have a, a pretty well established cadre of pros. And as we've talked about before, just because a pro uses it doesn't mean that the pro feels that it's benefiting them, but they, they just feel happy to be able to get the endorsement. So the question then becomes okay what is magnesium? What is it used for? What does it do? And does it? Is there any science to actually suggest that any of the claims being made by this company are true? And and should we consider supplementing with magnesium? And and to be clear, Pillar suggests that their product be used at bedtime. That it's a one. One serving every night before bed. It's not something you take while you're exercising. It's not something you take before exercise, but rather it's a a pre bedtime thing. And the reason for that is because they suggest that taking magnesium improves sleep, it improves recovery. They also they don't actually talk about performance so much, but they do say it it's a, a, a good mineral for. Uh, preventing cramping. Those, those are the three main ones. I think there was a fourth one as yeah, well. Yeah, right? it's supposed so to boost
2: it. energy all day, energy by supporting sort of energy production, uh, production in cells. That was their fourth claim. Right. So right. it's really it's mostly recovery, so, sleep recovery, reducing muscle cramping, and boosting energy. Those are their four big claims.
0: Now, the good news is, is there's a ton of science on magnesium. Further good news is that magnesium is, in fact, an essential micronutrient. I say micro because, you know, we have to distinguish between macronutrients, micronutrients. Macronutrients are carbohydrates, fats, things like that. Micronutrients is pretty much everything else. Minerals like iron are considered micronutrients. You don't need large quantities every day. Magnesium is an important micronutrient because it is found in all of our cells and has a pretty important role in a lot of intracellular functions. In North American diets, there is a propensity to lose magnesium and be in a kind of a deficit state. There's a lot of reasons for this, but basically our diets, for the most part, as we've become more and more dependent, shall we say, on processed foods, we don't tend to get as much magnesium as we need, even though the amount of magnesium you need on a daily basis is actually quite small the foods that are rich in magnesium tend to not make up a big part of our diet. And so for that reason, you're not taking in as much. And yet we continue to lose it because every time we exercise, every time we do anything, some magnesium leaks out of our cells into the bloodstream, gets filtered out by the kidneys and then lost. So if you're not replacing it all the time, then you—it it is possible to get into a magnesium deficient state. Now, just how common magnesium deficiency is, is not really well understood. We know that There are certain populations, like alcoholics, for example, a population that I see commonly in the emergency department who are chronically magnesium deficient, and it causes them significant problems. But in the average population, I can tell you, and I know this just anecdotally because we check magnesium levels on most patients that come in, it's not that common that we see low serum levels of magnesium. The the problem is, is when you measure a serum level of magnesium, you're not getting a really good accurate reflection of total body magnesium because most magnesium is intracellular, and so serum levels may not fall until you actually have lo- really low levels intracellularly. So it's it's one of those things that when you measure it, you're not totally getting the accurate number. It has to you you really have to be in a very low magnesium state before the serum level really falls. That being said, It's very unusual for us to see just normal healthy people have low magnesium levels. Still, as I said, it is understood that because of the Western diet and because of just normal ongoing losses, a certain amount of magnesium deficiency is believed to exist within the general population. It's just not sure. It's just not known how bad that is and how common it is. And so this has led to this idea that. Maybe it'd be a good idea to supplement with magnesium. So what does magnesium do? Well, it's critically important within our heart cells, where it has a very important role in stabilizing cell membranes and in allowing for normal conduction. So that's just put that one aside because that's not generally something that has anything to do with athletics. And it's certainly not something that Pillar is saying as a reason you need to take their product, which is good for them because they really shouldn't say that. But, you know, that that is the reason why we in the emergency department often have to give it. It's because people come in and they have dysrhythmias and it's because their magnesium is low. But that's not something that athletes are going to encounter. Other reasons that magnesium or other roles that magnesium plays is it definitely plays a role in our muscle health, both in how our muscles contract, but also in after muscle after we've exercised in terms of muscle recovery it also plays a role in the inflammatory process it also plays it's thought to play a role in sleep we'll come back to that and then it plays a role in normal intracellular cellular metabolism and there's this really nice little diagram that was in one of the papers we looked at that kind of shows how many different roles magnesium has as either a cofactor or coenzyme or all of these different things that magnesium does within our bodies. And it, it, it's, it's really a ton of different processes and they, it covers a wide spectrum of different things. So magnesium clearly a very important mineral in our bodies, but whether or not taking extra magnesium is necessary, not totally clear. So we, we found some studies and the first one we found was from this paper was from 2023. It's titled The Integral Role of Magnesium in Muscle Integrity and Aging, a comprehensive review, which is a great title, tells you exactly what they're looking at, tells you exactly what they've done. They pulled a ton of studies and looked at the role of magnesium in various different processes within the body. They found essentially that magnesium did seem to have some role to play in performance, specifically muscle performance. And that's interestingly not something that Pillar is claiming. Pillar is not claiming that taking their product is going to lead to improved muscle function. But there are studies that suggest that supplementing with magnesium can actually improve certain measures of muscle function. The caveat to that is not all the papers show that. And it's not clear whether or not you need to be magnesium deficient first in order to benefit from taking magnesium supplements. In other words, if you and I have normal levels of magnesium, does taking magnesium supplements actually improve muscle performance? Or if you and I are healthy, we take magnesium supplements, we don't see any benefit. But if somebody else has low magnesium and they take magnesium supplements, are they the ones who see benefit? This has not really been well studied. That being said, in about 26 different studies that were looked at, specifically looking at muscle function, about half of them seemed to suggest that magnesium supplementation led to some degree of improved muscle function. It wasn't extraordinary. It wasn't life-changing in any way. And it didn't come across in the kinds of things that we would want to see for us as endurance athletes. There was one small study for triathletes that seemed to suggest that times were improved, but it was a very small study and no other studies looked specifically at triathletes. There was a couple studies here on swimmers, there was one study on, on rowers, but most of the studies were just looking at things like grip strength or the ability to do repeat strength type exercises. And in those some of those studies magnesium seemed to help and in others there was no difference. At no no study seemed to suggest that magnesium, was harmful. So that's important.
2: Were there were there any so, studies that, that were there any studies that suggested that endurance athletes lost magnesium at a rate higher than the normal population?
0: Nobody's really looked at that. There there's no studies that we could find that said that performing exercise there is this idea, this theoretical idea that every time you do exercise, magnesium does leak from your muscles. And therefore there's this theory that exercise is going to lead to higher magnesium losses, and therefore there's a potential for more ma- of, a, of a magnesium deficit in athletes. The problem is, is that athletes are usually the ones who are eating foods that are higher in magnesium. And so they may be offsetting those losses. And this hasn't really been studied. We could, at least we couldn't find any papers that showed that. So I can't really answer the question. All I can say is that it seems to be this, in some studies, magnesium seems to improve performance a little bit. There was another study we came across, uh, another one from 2023 that looked at exploring the relationship between micronutrients and athletic performance, a comprehensive scientific systemic review of the literature, very similar kind of paper from the previous one. And this one, again, sort of suggested that, you know, the review as a whole regards magnesium as a thoroughly important micronutrient for the body indicates that deficiencies in magnesium should be taken seriously because, as I said, it's so vitally important across all kinds of systems. And the review provides support for magnesium supplement use when there is a deficiency. So, like I said, this paper, however, found that magnesium does not seem to be helpful when there is no deficiency. So, this review, unlike the first review, was a little more clear in kind of delineating this idea that, hey, if your magnesium levels are normal, you don't need to be taking supplements. Now, again, going out and getting a a magnesium level measured is probably not necessary because we know that there are problems with the magnesium, the serum magnesium level. Still, you know, something there. Now, one one of the claims that Pillar makes is that magnesium can help with muscle cramps. There has been a host of research on magnesium with exercise-associated muscle cramps, and it goes back now for over a decade. There initially were some studies that suggested that uh, magnesium could be helpful with muscle cramps related to exercise, but most of the studies done since then have not shown any benefit to taking magnesium. And this makes a lot of sense when you consider what we've talked about in the past. There seems to be these sort of this multiple causes related to cramps. There seems to be the the, the nerve signaling theory. There's the uh, idea that it's not any one electrolyte that leads to cramping. We used to think sodium was a big deal or dehydration was a big deal or temperature was a big deal. Rather, now we seem to think, you know what, it's probably some combination of all of these things together in conjunction with this increased neuro excitability that's leading to cramping. And so Replacing any one electrolyte like magnesium is very unlikely to to be helpful in preventing muscle cramps. And indeed, most of the studies have shown this pretty clearly. There have been some studies that suggest that magnesium can prevent nocturnal muscle cramps, which are completely different and should not be confused with exercise-associated muscle cramps. And again, in these cases, studies have been a little bit conflicting. Some of the papers suggest, yes, it is helpful. Other papers say no. So I think the claim that Pillar is making that taking their product is going to somehow prevent or or improve exercise-associated muscle cramps is just not borne out in the evidence. And what about sleep and energy? I know that there's been a lot of discussion here at LifeSport. We have, we have group chats amongst our athletes, and I know there's been a lot of discussion amongst the women. Juliet, you were talking about many of the women... Discussing magnesium, what, what are some of the right. things that, so, that you've been hearing?
2: Right. So a number of women, particularly women who are peri or post-menopause, talk about, you know, everyone often shares ideas of how to have improved sleep since that's a time of life that's so embattled. And amongst other sort of more natural remedies is magnesium. And people talk about how they believe that magnesium helps them better at that time of life. So people are curious.
0: Well, there's a <laughs> yeah, well there's a good paper here from 2022, The Role of Magnesium in Sleep Health: A Systematic Review of Available Literature. It's not a ton of literature. You know, initial st- when they start pulling papers to look in these systematic reviews, they go through kind of a process where they they use a very broad net to identify any paper that might be relevant and then they kind of cull them down looking at, you know, does the paper actually look at what we're interested in? And eventually if they find papers that actually look what they're interested in, how many of them are actually good science? Well, they started with 934 papers, which sounds promising, but only nine of them met criteria to be Uh evaluated in this systematic review. So it's a very small body of literature of good science that has looked at this. And what they found was really low quality of research that's investigated this question. So we don't really have a great answer. However... (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the 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 conclusions are are like really, really waffly. It's almost like a waffle over a hedge on a fence. Uh basically what they said was um the research as it is suggests that magnesium taken at more than five hundred milligrams per day, which is a lot, yeah, for more than eight weeks has a possible beneficial effect on sleep time and efficiency, but Really can't say because the effect size has not been enough to really stand out in these studies. Now, there are some theoretical reasons why magnesium could be beneficial to sleep, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but basically it has to do with cell signaling related to the NMDA and GABA pathways, anybody who's involved in medicine or Neuroscience will recognize those as being integral for relaxation and sleep, and indeed magnesium is theorized to have some role in antagonizing the NMDA pathway, which is an excitatory pathway, and being an agonist or promoting the GABA pathway, which is involved in putting us or making us sleepy. So magnesium theoretically could work here, but the research to date really hasn't shown any significant benefits. And, and so at this point, it's kind of hard to really say that again, no downsides. And if people want to take this, then I'm not going to tell them not to. And if they feel like it's benefiting them, as far as I'm concerned, that, that's totally fine. But we'll get to the cost of this in a few minutes. There are other things they talked about. Energy pillar talks about how energy can make people feel more energetic. We found no evidence for that whatsoever. We couldn't find any science that actually specifically called that out or that specifically looked at that. There's definitely science that suggests that magnesium doesn't affect things like delayed onset muscle soreness. There is a lot of theory and there's a lot of hypotheses because magnesium is involved in the cells in the mitochondria for processing energy. So it kind of makes sense. You know, if I if I feed the mitochondria more of the magnesium, maybe they'll be better at producing energy. Well, that's great. Theory isn't always borne out by results. And we haven't seen results to, to suggest that this is actually true. Because again, if you have adequate amounts of magnesium, then you could take all you want. You're just going to pee it out. Because mm-hmm. if you have enough, your body's not going to hold on to it. You don't store magnesium. More is not you better, don't, you yeah. Don't have, yeah, You don't have this reservoir. And then finally, there's one other thing I just wanted to comment on, and that had to do with inflammation, because I mentioned it a little bit earlier on. Magnesium has been shown to be involved in, the infl- in many inflammatory processes. And there are studies that suggest that magnesium supplementation can have an impact in lowering some inflammatory markers. But to date, none of that has been shown as having any true effects on disease state. So I've talked in the past about DOE and PO, so there's disease-oriented endpoints and then patient-oriented endpoints. And so, seeing decreased inflammatory markers is great. That's like kind of a disease-oriented endpoint. But what I really want to know is: is the patient feeling anything? Is is that having any kind of any kind of measurable effect on patients? And to date, taking magnesium, even though we see lowering of certain inflammatory markers is not resulting in any change in outcomes for patients that have been measurable in any way. So, you know, the take-home here is that, there, you know, magnesium sounds great. It certainly is benign. There is definitely danger to hypermagnesemia. You can take too much, but you're not going to get too much from Pillar because Pillar is only providing you 52% of the recommended daily allowance. And at a cost... It's $50 for 40 servings. You're supposed to be taking one of these every day. So you're basically getting, you know, it's it's 50 bucks for 40 days, and you're getting 52% of the recommended daily allowance, which is, I don't know, is that adequate? I, I don't know that anybody's done a study. You know, the study I mentioned before was greater than 500 milligrams, and you're only getting 300, and I think it's 320 milligrams from Pillar. So it's not even as much as some of these studies are saying you should take. Now, I think the, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Do you need a supplement or do you just need to eat a healthy diet, right?
2: More spinach, more beans, more chocolate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Because those are all places where you could find magnesium in your normal healthy diet. So if you have a nice intake of legumes and leafy greens and dark chocolate, hey, another reason to take dark chocolate, you're going to get probably enough magnesium to get you through. And there were other foods, tofu, I uh, can't remember bananas, what else was on that list, but they're...
2: Edamame. Bananas.
0: Yeah, don't, don't, remember no bananas, bananas with your within cherry juice.
2: juice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to be clear, it's not, it's not tiller performance in particular for who are debunking these claims. It's, it's magnesium in general. So any product that is touting magnesium as the wonder, the wonder element in their products, all of these are in the same boat in terms of how effective magnesium is on these different factors, promoting sleep, enhancing muscle recovery, reducing energy, cramping this thing.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about magnesium in another forum previously, and that was in Epsom salts. Mm -hmm. For people who, you know, this goes back quite a while. I can't remember when I discussed it. It was many, many episodes ago, but the town of uh, Epsom in England Mm -hmm. was famous because people would go and drink the water from the bitter water from the the town what was it the town pond or whatever where the, you know the the water was basically to, to to make themselves more regular and the reason for that was because it was a it was very very high concentrations of magnesium salts and people learned that oh magnesium is a great cathartic it keeps you that's why milk of magnesia so magnesium does have effects and and very good effects on our intestinal tract it's it's an important cofactor for many enzymatic processes it, it is needed it's something we need but This this notion that supplementing is somehow going to improve in all of the ways that Pillar is saying or that any other supplement maker is saying is just unfortunately not really borne out by the science. But again, if you're using one of these and you feel like it's helping you, then by all means, I I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to take it. I just think you should know that uh, a lot of these are expensive. Pillar specifically is quite expensive. I found I looked today and I found other magnesium supplements that were significantly less expensive. Probably because they're not paying to endorse Ben Canute and Jan Frodeno and uh, the rest.
2: Right, exactly. Well, thanks. I'm not. It's one of those things where you almost don't want to tell people who are struggling with sleep that the thing that they think is helping is really not helping. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, and I don't want to say that ever, yeah, right? right? Yeah, right. And, I, and I really do believe, you know, the science, as I've said before, a scientific paper doesn't say whether or not something works, yes or no. What it does say is whether or not it can definitively be shown to, you know, show a difference in two different populations if there's a statistical difference between two populations. And that's that's kind of a really, that's a mouthful. It's kind of hard to understand. But science is not really good at saying yes, no. It's only good at saying we think so or we don't think. And in this case, no, we don't think magnesium is going to help in all these things, but that's not saying no. And it's certainly, I can't tell any individual whether or not that it's working for them. Because even if magnesium has no effects for 95% of people, there's still 5% of people who are going to get an effect. That means that on the whole, magnesium is not effective because it only works for five percent of people. We would say that that's not an effective thing to take. But for those five percent of people, it's great. So if you're one of those people who feels like magnesium is really helping you, then go for it. Don't don't don't. You should not be dissuaded. But if you're one of those people out there who's thinking, "Huh, I've been considering getting pillar," you know, I believe all. The, you know, I wonder if those claims are true. Then to you, I say, probably not. This is not worth your investment. You might want to look elsewhere.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> well,
0: there you go. Put
2: the tart all right, cherry well, Another medical use?
0: mailbag? That's right. Tart cherry it. juice, spirulina, those are the yeah. caffeine. <laughs> yeah, all right. yeah. Well, another medical mailbag is put to rest. If you have a question that you would like to send to us for us to consider and get an answer for here on the podcast, please do send it to us. You could reach me by email at T-R-I- underscore D O C at iCloud.com. Or you can join the private Facebook group for the podcast. Just answers the three simple questions. I'll grant you admittance. You can join the conversation there and submit your questions. We'll be happy to answer them here. Juliette, thanks so much for joining me again. And we'll uh, speak again in a couple of weeks to answer another question. Thanks so much, Jeff. I am joined today on the podcast by age group triathlete Mark Evans. Mark is a retired U.S. Navy serviceman where he served on submarines and the special forces. We'll have to talk about that, of course. Uh, he is the father of twins, Mark Jr. and Olivia. He's originally from Pennsylvania, but he lives now in Cary in North Carolina. In 2022, Mark was participating in the Ironman 70.3 World Championships when an intoxicated driver hit him and another cyclist on one of the steep and fast descents on the course. Mark was severely injured, but fortunately has almost completely recovered and is back to training and racing. I've always been enormously impressed with his attitude and demeanor in dealing with that cruel twist of fate, and I wanted to have him on the program for the longest time, but I wanted to wait until enough time had passed and he was clearly back doing what he loves. I feel pretty sure that he had reached that point a little while back, and so I am thrilled to have him here today to share his story mark welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for being here
1: yeah thanks for having me it's an honor to be here and always great to see you man thank you so
0: let's begin with whatever you remember from that day i know that uh, being at the world championships was something you were looking forward to and uh, just tell me what you remember happening on that day
1: yeah so i you know i'm pretty experienced racer, so. i'm standard morning got up i was there of the time it was very cold i won't forget that a lot of folks were bundled up and i almost didn't race that day because of the cold weather i i went into transition got set up a little bit and then decided well i need to stay warm so i walked out and i got a jacket and i was standing with my sherpa in a in a comfortable jacket and right right before the swim, swim started I'm like, oh i gotta get my goggles and i tried to get back into transition and and one of the ushers were there like nope sorry it's closed so i was like oh no but yeah you know, with a little coercion a little charm they let me run over to my bike and grab my goggles and i, and I got to swim yeah water was freezing but i felt good you know everybody was dealing with the same issues i had a really really good swim for me it's the most challenging of the three. So I got out of the water. I was very happy to be out of the water and I could still feel most of my limbs putting the helmet on and the shoes. And I got out of the T1 unscathed with a good head of steam heading into the bike. So for me, staying warm is pinnacle when I'm racing. Once I get cold, I turn into a a four-year-old. You know, I throw a fit. And that's unfair to four-year-olds because I probably react a bit They probably react a bit better than I do. But uh. yeah, so I was warm, happy, got on the bike. I saw some friends. I saw Lynette um, leaving T1. Yeah, it was a good day, Uh, ready for a good bike leg and felt good. I remember getting warm, eating, you know, just got into my zone where you're eating and drinking and checking your power and eating, drinking, checking your power and kind of the routine. And I think. You know, looking back, I think I, I definitely got a bit too comfortable, you know, as I rehash it in my mind. I was very comfortable. The, the course seemed extremely safe. I had ridden the course before. Everyone was, you know, there was no, every now and then you get a knucklehead s- swerving in and out. But there was none of that. It was very, very unremarkable. I turned on to Telegraph Road there. Uh, There's a bit of a downhill. Going down, going down into into the town. And I remember there being a bunch up or a big peloton, if you will, of riders. And I, I, I got to the extreme left side of the road or side of the course. So I was essentially up against a set of cones, a very tightly coned off lane. So there was cones like every two feet. It was obvious, right? So there, were, there was uh, three lanes of traffic, a westbound lane, an eastbound lane, and then a turning lane. And they had the westbound lane was coned off for bikes, and the other two lanes they were using to allow traffic to go east and west. So the westbound folks were using the turning lane. And as I was coming down the hill, I looked up and I saw a line of cars on the left-hand side of me, so on the other side of the cones. Probably five or six cars and they were stopped at a stoplight. There was a police officer there. Again, nothing, nothing that would say stop or, you know, or, you know, you're in danger. Maybe looking back now, maybe I should go a little slower at intersections, but you know, you're racing, you're racing. I was tucked in tight. I was, you know, you know, I don't want to say I have no fear when I descend, but descending doesn't bother me. I'm able to stay in arrow position and I'm comfortable there. And, you know, I just accept that I've taken all the precautions I can. And I, you know, if I, if I do crash, it's going to hurt. So I might as well go as fast as I can until that moment, I guess. But uh, so I, yeah, I saw the line of cars. I came down, I was passing a few folks on the left. Again, I was at the extreme left because there was probably three or four lanes of bike traffic, if you will, different level riders, people get a little bit cautious on descents and they slow down and, you know, it just got bunched up right there. And as I was approaching the light, I remember looking down at my bike computer, checking my, my watts, coming, you know, over pedal on the downhill. And then I looked up and it was clear. I looked down once again, and then I looked up again and there was a gray Jeep SUV in front of me, probably, yeah, maybe 20 feet, very close. And it was, it was at an angle. So that was, she was probably, the driver was probably a third or fourth car in that line. She was waiting to turn right to go across the bike lanes or the course. And the cop was letting people go right as it was clear. And she was probably third or fourth in line and she decided she didn't want to wait in line anymore. So she just from a stopped position turned her wheels to the right and drove her out into the, uh, the bike horse. And I happened to be to the far left there. And I, you know, I, I remember it's, it's crazy how slow time goes when you're, when you're in those situations, or at least you perceive it as slow. I remember saying to myself, should I hit the passenger side door, or should I try to, you know, go left and and you know go around the back of her right? And I tr- I tried to push my w- my front wheel to the left to kind of miss or at least get a glancing blow off the back of the vehicle. Uh, but it just you know, I was tucked in and you know how TT bikes are—they're not the most responsive things to turn. So I didn't didn't quite make it. My My head went through her her back window, fairly close to the back passenger side corner of the vehicle. And my body, the rest of my body hit the back gate. And I I can, initially I didn't remember any of it. Um, But now I can actually remember what it smelled like inside of her car. (laughs) And uh, I don't know, it's just strange that that scent, it just stayed with me or I remembered it. Um, So I slid along, at, you know, as I at left the top part of my body, my torso went through the window. My right arm got pinned against my, between my body and the bottom of the window that I had just broken. And that jagged glass, I slid along the back window on that jagged glass. And that's what nearly severed my right arm. Uh, and then my, my head hit the other side of the window frame. And then I, I think I lost consciousness probably for about no, a minute or so, but I, I woke up and I, I, I knew what happened. I was alert and I knew, I knew I was hurt bad. There was, luckily there was an EMT, retired EMT in, in that line of cars who got out and was like, you do this, you do that. Um. So, you know, a little bit of luck never hurts, but yeah, I remember being on the ground and just asking folks to kind of, I'm, I'm a bit of a straight shooter. <laughs> like I can take it, you know, ret- retired military guy. I've been in some sticky situations and I just want to understand what I need to prepare myself mentally. And I was asking folks, you know, how's my arm? <laughs> and I got a lot of, it's, it's fine. I'm like, well, I can't move it or feel it. So. <laughs> Uh, little did I know. Well, I knew now. But a young man jumped out. And he put a tourniquet on my arm uh, because it was, you know, bleeding profusely, and I was losing a lot of blood. So, and then I did end up getting, I think, three blood transfusions. So I had lost a lot of blood. Now there was uh, a, a second cyclist involved as well, correct? Yeah, Pat. So Pat, he was behind me. And I think there's a drafting penalty that needs to be assessed on him because he was a little close. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I would pick on him in the hospital. But yeah, Pat was behind me and, uh, you know, probably right behind me. Uh, You know, I I don't remember seeing him there. Interestingly enough, Lynette, my girlfriend, was taking pictures and we came out of the water right next to each other. So he must have followed me right out of T1. um, But I don't remember seeing him, you know uh and he must have been right behind me because and from you know witness accounts I know that I did hit the vehicle first and then Pat actually hit me while I was still in contact with the vehicle and then we both hit the ground and his injuries you know I had a lot of upper body stuff I mean I broke my neck in two places and my back in two places and four ribs on the on the you know, you're a doctor, so I won't use the medical terms. On the back, in the back, the top two ribs on each side in the back. And, you know, I broke my nose and my arm was severely injured. But my legs uh, were, oddly enough, okay. Like, I, I could move them. I probably could have got up and walked into the ambulance, but uh, they put me on a stretcher. So, um, But Pat's injuries were mostly skeletal. So he had some pretty bad his sh- shoulder was broken up pretty bad in his right leg um, and they're not he's still not able to walk and do things so he he got a bit more of it I think um yeah so in the immediate aftermath now I just want to back
0: up just a little bit actually before I get sure. to that because For people who don't know the Utah course, I've done it several times. You you go up a a fairly long kind of grade, and then at the top of this hill, you make a left-hand turn onto Telegraph Road, and then there's this long kind of descent that sweeps along. You have really good sight lines. They do an excellent job of controlling the traffic and really coning off the road, as you said. I mean, it's very visible. It's very well patrolled by police at all the intersections. And there's really no issues or – in my mind, there was – and on that day, I was there. I I had passed through before Mark's incident. There was no question that the course was very well marked and very well marshaled. This was a driver who, as Mark very well described, just was impatient and cut into the bike course. Do you – Remember hearing from police after the fact, anything about the driver, Mark?
1: So this is a sad story, Jeff. I just want your listeners to understand this. I mean, it has a happy ending for me, kind of, but so I remember being on the ground at the site and hearing someone extremely frantic. And I guess that's the best way I could describe it. They were kind of going on and on about. I'm so. They were profusely apologizing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it it was to the point where, yeah, I was, I was banged up. I was in a lot of pain. And I asked one of the the people around me. I'm like, "Who is that lady? Okay, you know, because I, I thought maybe she she had somehow been hit too. But it ended up being mm-hmm. the person uh, who hit me. She mm-hmm. was. Uh, An older woman in her 60s obviously had some challenges in her life, and she used to drive from northern Utah down to the Vegas area once a month or every so often to purchase illegal drugs. And she was on her way back, and she had taken drugs, and she got lost or turned around and got off the highway and didn't understand... You know, didn't even know what triathlon was or why she was in that line, or, and she just wanted to go home. So that's why she jumped out in front of me. Uh, and that's all things that the the police officers told me uh, when I was in the hospital fairly, really quickly, too. Like they, they arrested her right there and took her in. And she admitted to everything. So it was, uh, yeah, she was, she had a rough life. And, uh, you know, that's something that, I completely understood it. Like I wasn't angry. Like I, I know it sounds crazy, but you know, I have a large family and I have family members who struggled with addiction. So I get it, you know, um, she didn't wake up that day and say, Hey, I'm going to go kill two guys on a bike course. You know, she was getting through the day the best she could and she was, she needed help and she just didn't, you know, didn't didn't get it in time, so it ended up in yeah. And it's a
0: it's a testament to your attitude and your demeanor in this whole affair, and really why I wanted to talk to you. I I, I would hope that I would have the same approach and the same sense of grace. I, I I'm sure I would feel very angry at first, and I would hope that eventually I would come around to feeling the same as you because, like you said, uh, it, it's unusual that somebody would get up in the morning and feel like, oh, this is what I'm going to do today because that's just very much not going to be the case. We, unfortunately, more and more see stories of people who maliciously do injure and even kill cyclists, but this was not yeah. the case in, in this instance. But get, getting back to your story, because that's where I want to keep the focus… <laughs> how soon afterwards did you realize first of all that you were going to be okay but also how serious it was going to be in terms of uh you know a long road yeah i
1: mean i knew i knew i was you know i've been hurt before so i i knew i was going to be okay as far as being able to walk and talk and all that stuff my main concern was my right arm cuz i i had no feeling in it everybody that looked at it I could see their facial expression. Yeah. So I knew it was pretty bad. And I think I got, I think the ambulance, uh, the kid in the ambulance, kid, I'm sorry. Uh, he was a young man, probably in his early, early mid twenties though. I think it was one of his first times ever seeing like a really bad injury because he looked pale, like I was worried for him and it was just me and him on the way to the hospital and I kind of looked at him like, you're all right, buddy. And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. And I'm like is my arm bad? He's like, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, he was, he was my first indication that I had a, probably a long road to go with my arm. And that has been probably the, the, the longest pole in the tent, if you will. It's still not right. I have issues when I swim, almost like a spatial awareness thing because part of my arm, probably from the elbow down to mid forearm is still Numb. I have no feeling there, no sensation. Uh, I have full mobility in it, like dexterity, in my fingers, my grip strength is back, but I just can't straighten it fully. And I can't, you know, especially when I'm in the water, it's hard for me to know if, like, if my arm is straight or down or in the catch position, if you will. Well, for some of the experienced athletes, they understand what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah. But, but, own- but you are swimming and you have. You know, come back, which is to me remarkable. I, I I just keep thinking of the the way you impacted and you mentioned you had a broken neck, but the fact that you had no major internal intracranial injuries, the fact that you had no spinal injury, that to me is really the most amazing part of the whole story. And the fact that you are able to, to keep working on your rehab and able to do, to race again is really the, the most amazing and most positive outcome of all of this. Yeah. And
1: uh, you know, as a young child, I was in a motorcycle accident. Well, I was 14 and I I lost my spleen and the difference in my life has been taking care of yourself. Like every, every time I eat well and exercise, I've, my immune system has been really good and I haven't had any issues from it. Um, so I've kind of had to lead that kind of life and and I will, I'm the only reason I mentioned that is not to say, well, look, look at me cause I love pizza and eating, you know, sitting on the couch. I love all that stuff too. But when the surgeon, after he fixed my arm, he put my arm back together, the orthopedic surgeon, he said, you're the, you know, kind of what saved your arm was that it was such good viable tissue. Like it was, you know, it was muscle it was healthy right so i think part of that you know i was healthy to begin with when i hit that car and i think that every little bit helps you know i was lucky for sure but i also had a good starting point that a lot of my injuries were not complicated by existing conditions if you will
0: and what have you taken away from it like i mean as you as you Obviously you've taken away physical scars, but as you are here now a year and a few months past this, do you carry any psychological scars from this and and do you have a different outlook on
1: life? uh tough question there you know I definitely i I don't like the words mental scars, but I guess it's a mental scar, so if you don't know the woman who hit me, she decided to take her own life a few weeks after the accident.
0: I did not know that. That's, that's yeah. awful.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a person first and I understand there's a legal process that had to take place. And I understand how all that works, but even in the hospital just hearing her reaction to the accident. I was talking to my lawyer, my first lawyer who I ended up not going this. And I said, Hey, I want to call her because you get her whole, I got a, a document with all, her address, who she was, you know, basically the police report had all that in there. And I said, I would like to to phone her and, and just say, look, we're going to get through this. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to live, you know, my arm might, not be 100% but we're going to get through this and things are going to be okay and when i felt like that was a reality where i had hope that everyone could get past this relatively unscathed i was in a much better place but after she committed suicide i i did experience some pretty anger pretty angry days that i didn't i listened to my lawyer like honestly i i I should have called her. I feel like if I talked to her, things might have been different. Of course, that's probably not the healthiest way to look at things in life, but I, I just believe that. So, you know, I do have that guilt, I will say, of not pushing past. Barriers that I, I, that were introduced that I probably. It's a a testament to who you are that you would feel guilt for this. I I need to back
0: up a little bit and just as an emergency physician say that we do not like the word accident. We (laughs) feel that accident takes away responsibility and. We do not refer to motor vehicle accidents, we refer to motor vehicle collisions, because every time that there is an interaction between a vehicle and a cyclist or a vehicle and a pedestrian or two vehicles, there are always reasons for it. It's often excessive speed, it is sometimes a driver being under the influence, as it was the case here. But there is always a reason for it. And there was a reason for it in this case, and it wasn't an accident. There were choices made, and those choices resulted in this very unfortunate incident. That does not mean that it needed to end the way it did with the driver taking her own life. I wish that had not happened because, again, I think it's a testament to who you are as a person for, number one, feeling any sense of guilt for what happened because all of the decisions made were, were hers leading to that day and everything that happened afterwards. And the fact that you wanted to reach out to her to have some sense of closure and also some sense of forgiveness to express. And I I think that that is amazing. And again, I wish, I hope that I would be half the person that you are in in similar circumstances. I, I hope first and foremost to never be in those circumstances, but if I were that I would feel that Sense of empathy, and that I would behave in a similar manner. I, I think we all would like to think that we would. So it's a testament to you, and I, I give you the highest kudos for that. But where are you at now, Mark? Where Where are things at for you physically? You mentioned your arm, but are you are you back to a hundred percent in every other respect?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say nineties, low nineties. So I still have some mobility issues and some atrophy from my, I would say my back and chest area from being in the braces and being immobile. Um, my core strength. So my legs, my legs remained, you know, race ready. (laughs) They were tapered, ready to go, but my upper body didn't move a lot. And then I would say my, my core strength atrophied quite a bit. So But just that mix mix of being very strong on the bottom and not so strong on the top kind of had my body disconnected. And I've gotten through most of that, but I I still have a little bit to go. When was your first race back? So I did Happy Valley. I'm from Pennsylvania, and that was the first year for it up in State College, Pennsylvania. And that that was in the summer 2023, July, I believe. And and that must have been.
0: Uh, just an amazing feeling to to start to get to the start line and then also to 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 cross the finish line i mean that that just must have been amazing
1: it was it was very emotional i'm not a you know i'm low drama i've, I've been in a lot of sticky situations and the less drama you bring into it the more clarity you usually have so i guess i'm suppress it well but i definitely got emotional i would say as soon as i got off the bike I was, I knew I was, you know, I could have walked, I can walk 13 miles, you know, I've done that before. So, but as soon as I got off the bike and I felt fairly good uh, and, you know, no issues, I, I felt good, probably two miles in. I, you know, I just started thinking about Pat a lot, thought about Pat the other guy that got hit a lot because I know that he's still struggling and I don't, he's not back to racing yet. And I, you know, I thought of, of Debbie, Debbie's—that's the woman who hit me. Her name is Debbie. You know, just kind of taking stock of life and and some of the things that happened to me. I guess I guess partially some of that closure you were talking about. That too. You know. So
0: you're still in touch with Pat then? First of all, where is Pat? And I think he's in Utah, right?
1: No, Pat's in the San near San Diego. Pat's a okay, California, a right? Yeah, he's a pastor. Huge family, lovely family, and we are and we con- we are in contact. I'd say through social media mostly, but he it's, is on the mend, just slowly. Yeah, and you know, I, I, as as time's gone by, I don't I don't have as much detail on his injuries. He definitely had a rougher time, though his his right shoulder and his light, light leg. He was in a wheelchair. He's walking with a cane, I think, still. So I think his injuries are, you know, mine are permanent as well. But I think his are life-altering, permanent. Is there anything that the rest of us
0: can take away from this, Mark? Certainly, I think your attitude is is unbelievable. I think that we can all try to learn from that. But is is there anything that you kind of have as lessons
1: for all of us? I don't know, man. I a lot of people, you know, say. Wow, it's amazing how you dealt with it. And, you know, that was just my way. It's not that it's right or wrong, or I just, I was just trying to figure it out myself and having the background that I have, the experiences that I have, being in war and pretty terrible areas of the world and seeing horrible things. I I think I've learned a few times. That most of the time, anger is not a very useful emotion. I think anger can get you through, you know, maybe a few hours or, or a day or maybe a few days. But the things that really, the emotions that help me kind of get through life, the tough parts of life are, you know, sounds sappy, but it, you know, it's, it's love. It's, it's understanding. It's, It's pause, it's sitting with things and then looking at them from different perspectives to try to make some sense of it and then embracing it and uh, controlling what you can based on that. So I think it it really highlighted that, which was something I felt I wouldn't have to use again, you know, I retired and I thought I'd be drinking, you know, $5 lattes and spandex every day, living a good life. but. Some of the hardest things I've, I've gone through are, are the things I've, I've had to face in this, in this instance. And you know, post my, my, my Navy career where I did all the hard stuff I, I thought I did. In it. so, um, just for me, anger, you know, uh, anger, anger is, it can be useful, but I would say if that's your go-to that, you know, maybe do some soul searching and make sure you're, you're, you're putting your energy in the right parts of, of your emotional aptitude there.
0: Well, I I can't think of a better way to finish than that, Mark. It's a terrible story, but it happened to a fantastic person. And I, I think that we can all take that last thing that you said about anger away from this and hopefully apply it in our own lives to much less dramatic circumstances. Mark Evans is an age group triathlete who was involved in a terrible, terrible bicycle versus car collision in the 2022 70.3 ironman world championships that took place in saint george utah he's back to racing again and coming up in 24 you have anything on the calendar yeah i'll be in chattanooga can't wait excellent all right well we'll be looking for you out there and we'll wish you the best of luck on your continued rehabilitation training and racing mark evans thank you so much for joining me on the Tri-Doc podcast today thank you jeff it was an honor And that's it for another episode. The Tri-Doc Podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff, along with my interns. I'm Agent Johnson.
2: This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? (laughs) No relation. I'm, uh...
0: I'm Jeff Sankoff, uh, the the Tri-Doc. I'm in charge here.
2: Not anymore.
0: Those interns are Ian Johnson and Ben Johnson. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today, as well as archives of previous episodes at tridocpodcast.com. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode, or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Send me an email at tri-doc at icloud.com, or join the private Tridoc Podcast Facebook group on Facebook, and you can submit your questions there. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit tridoccoaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com, where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the Tridoc Podcast Facebook page, Tridoc Coaching on Instagram, and the Tridoc Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. And of course, there's always the option of becoming a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash tridocpodcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, remember 1121 and train hard, train healthy.